to be with you today. Welcome. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And uh, I'd love to invite you to take your notes out of your handout. A lot of stuff we want to cover today. We're talking about dating. That's our topic. Uh, last week we started Crazy Love Series talking about friendships. We're going to move from this message into, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about sex. Talking about living single in a crazy world. So the next three messages I really want you to understand are going to be rated M for mature. Mature audiences only. You can bring your kids in here, but then you're going to have some interesting follow-up conversations on the way home. Uh, so, and today, I did, you know, put this out on Twitter this week that, that um, today's message is what I would call a PG-13 message that we just want to talk about, honestly, some of the issues that surround dating. So, if that's where you are, your family, great. If not, we have an incredible children's ministry. Love to invite you to check that out as well. We're talking about dating, and the, the idea is that dating is a part of relationships, most notably on the front end where the pressure seems to be a little higher, although dating is not exclusively found on the front end of relationships. Today, I want to promise you there's going to be something for everyone. No matter where you are on the spectrum of life or relationship, there will be something for you. And even if it's just because you have friends or you have, uh, you know, sons or daughters that are going through seasons and you're thinking, you know what, this would be very, very helpful for them in their season. So I promise you there's something for everyone today. But trying to give advice on dating is hard because there's so many different opinions and different methods and uh, different books written on the subject. It's a little bit like giving advice on golf or advice on, you know, giving birth, right? And some of you are thinking, yeah, you know what? And I'd really like to get an epidural right now and just wake me up when the whole dating thing's over. I get that. In fact, we want to know where you are. So Overlake, we started last week by taking a poll. Hundreds and hundreds of you are responding. Everybody grab your phones real quick. And I tell you to turn them on, but they're already on. Uh, so just grab that. And now the question is, um, what is your current status? Are you single? Are you dating? Are you engaged? Are you married? Or are you, it's complicated, okay? So go ahead, let us know. Just text that in. And, uh, and again, I want to encourage you. This is just simply a way of, of us keeping track of where we are, how we're progressing. There are times when out of the mouths of babes, right, incredible wisdom flows and oftentimes a little bit of humor as well. So we want to start with a few questions asked to elementary school kids. First question, is it better to be single or married? Kenny, age seven, says it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Christine, age nine, asks, how can you tell if two adults eating dinner at a restaurant are in love? It's love if they order one of those desserts that are on fire. They like to order those because it's how their hearts are on fire. (laughs) Oh, isn't that a sweet little girl? Uh, Next question, how do people learn to kiss? You learn it right on the spot when the gushy feelings get the best of you. (laughs) That's a good point, Doug. And last question, Bobby, age eight, asks, how do you get people to fall in love with you? Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I have been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) All right, how did our poll turn out? Our poll turned out, so we got several singles uh, dating someone. A few engaged folks, welcome. Lots of married folks, and a few it's complicated. Okay, well, I hope no matter where you are today, you'll receive encouragement. You'll see that God's word actually has a lot to say about our relationships. And, and I, I want to get into this idea of there are different models or frameworks that we have when it comes to the idea of relationships. So there is a, there are several actually examples biblically. There are biblical precedent for how we move from meeting to marriage, how we go from hello to husband and wife. And, and the Bible has specifically, we'll look at three today of models, right? Frameworks that, that come after this. I want you to think about where you are most often in terms of how you look at relationships. So let's take a look at the first one. The first one is very simply the love at first sight model. The love at first sight model. And yeah, the Bible does have examples of this idea of love at first sight. Maybe that's where you are. You know, you, you just are a big believer in that first sight, that electric, you know, gaze and that crackle and the divine lightning, all that stuff. Uh, the Bible actually says, no, that, that can happen. And we're going like, to take a look at a story from Genesis 29. This is Jacob. Jacob has traveled to the land of his fathers to try to find a wife. 
And he has gone to this far off land and he's there in this country region and he's actually at a well talking with a bunch of other shepherds. And there's a huge stone that covers the well, right? It protects it, keeps it safe. And the other shepherds are waiting for all of the shepherds to come together because it's such a big stone, it takes a whole bunch of people to move. Okay, so here's Jacob. He's hanging out, making small talk with the shepherds. Then he sees Rachel come up over the hill. Take a look what happens. Jacob says, hey, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, the other shepherds said. Not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep, he went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. Okay. Can you picture the scene, right? Here's Jacob. He's making small talk with the shepherds. Big stone right there in the middle. And then up over the hill comes Rachel. And you could just hear the birds singing, right? A Lionel Richie tune in the distance. And, and, and Jacob sees her and there's that divine lightning that strikes. And so Jacob, he's never met her before. He's never seen her before. He just walks over. He knows she is a shepherd. She has sheep. Sheep need water. I'm moving the rock. And so he just bends, he lifts the thing and he moves it off and he's sweating and he's got all those endorphins. Some people get endorphins and they can lift a truck off a baby. Here's Jacob getting endorphins. He lifts the stone off the well and and then he walks over to Rachel, still shaking, and he kisses her and then he bursts into tears, right? Ladies, if this happens to you, I would consider this a red flag. And a guy kisses you and starts crying uncontrollably. He's taken that tender thing just a little too far, right? Oh, Mike, that was a beautiful moment. You ruined it for me. I know, it is beautiful. Let's unpack this for just a moment, okay? The the idea is that a portion of this model, this love at first sight model, I actually, I buy into because it's a little bit of my story. I met Jody 17 years ago on March 25th. Okay, and I met her. I was a youth pastor at the time. There was this Christian school function she happened to be attending, and uh, she was there. We met, we started talking, and my heart started pounding. And two hours later, as I drove away from the parking lot, I, I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw her, and she was still standing on the curb talking to some friends and family. And the sun was just hitting her face, and she was wearing a dress that was kind of blowing in the wind. And I just thought to myself, Lord, if if you want, if it's okay with you, I'd love to marry this woman. And he said, that's okay, go for it, right? 17 years later, right? So that idea of love at first sight, that's a part of my story. And, And so I'm there just a little bit. But let me talk to you about the implications of this model. If you're here, if this is you, then you're the kind of person that's gonna wait for lightning to strike before you start walking a road of friendship before you would ever ask someone out on a date, before you would even engage the idea that there would be potential significant relationship, you're gonna have to wait for some monumental move of your emotional life. You're gonna need that electricity from heaven before you'll ever admit that, hey, there's any potential here. Now, here's the negative implication. The negative implication of this love at first sight model is that you rush into relationship with strong emotion at the front end And you don't take the time necessary to develop solid friendship with this other person. You're letting this love at first sight kind of model cloud all kinds of judgment as you rush into a relationship. Okay, so positive and negative for all these models. The second type of model, this is my personal favorite. It's called the arranged marriage model. I'm a big fan of this now that I have kids. And... uh, I'd like to reserve the right to tell my children who they're going to marry. But uh, in almost every culture since the beginning of time, this has been a reality. Certainly in biblical times, uh, this idea of arranged marriages has a long, whole history of ritual and etiquette built around how the courtship process works. All throughout history, actually, and still today in certain rural communities like Spokane. 
Okay, so this happens, right? Jacob, for example, we just read about Jacob. Jacob's dad, Isaac, was essentially arranged to be married to Rebekah. And they were married, and that was that, okay? And so, yes, it's a reality. There's a biblical reality. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 5, or in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you read these words. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. That word literally means there was a legal pledge to be married. It was a legally binding contract, and the arrangement was between Joseph and most likely Mary's parents. Mary, uh, most scholars believe that Mary was young, that she was either in her early to mid-teen years. Joseph was older, an established carpenter in the community, and able to provide financially for a new growing family. And so there was this covenant entered into together. This contract was significant, and it was much more binding than our being engaged, our engagement process today. So to be in an adulterous relationship at this point would be to bring shame upon both parties and both families and could end in death for the adulterous partner. They were, uh, for all intents and purposes, being betrothed was like you were married without the consummation. They weren't living together. They weren't intimate together. It was all of the duty and none of the benefits. Okay. Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, he is an honorable man, the Bible says. And so he did not want to put her to shame, so he planned to break the agreement and dissolve the contract to divorce her quietly, but not press his full advantage as the husband wronged. And of course, if you know the story, you know that Joseph was visited by the angel. He discovered that he had, in fact, not been wronged, but instead he has been blessed. Blessed to have Mary as his wife, blessed to raise Jesus as his son. And so Joseph goes ahead and enters into that contract of marriage. Now, I told you I'm a fan of this, uh, uh, this arranged marriage idea now, especially that I have children. All three of my kids are in elementary school. And several months ago, I happened to be attending a wedding, and I was sitting there with my daughter. And it was a very special kind of moment, special because sometime during the, uh, the ceremony, she grabbed my hand, and she picked it up, and she kissed my hand and said, I love you, Daddy. I said, oh, baby, I love you too. And then I turned my attention back to the ceremony where the officiating pastor also happened to be the father of the bride. And as he was sharing words of celebration over this couple, as he was recounting the joy he holds in his daughter and and the pride he has in her choice of a husband, he was getting choked up and emotional. And I just imagined myself briefly in that same kind of context, you know, years and years ahead. I thought of myself in that role on stage with my daughter, a total blubbering mess, by the way, I'm sure. And I just pictured myself there and, and just so proud of, of who she is and, and so excited about her choice of a husband and as they enter into covenant together, how my heart would feel. And, and so immediately I just began to pray for my daughter. And I prayed for, for her for hundreds and thousands of times already in, in her life. And I just began to pray again that God would continue to grow her in wisdom, that he would grow her in an understanding of his grace over her life, his plans for her, how he invites her into this intimate adventure. And, uh, and I just prayed that there would be wisdom that would cover her whole life. And, and then I began to pray for this God-favored man who would someday be her husband. I began to lift him up as well, and, and I just began to pray that, that he would have both um, you know, tenderness, but also a gentle strength, and that he would have wisdom, but also a deep humility. And more than anything else, I prayed that he would be a God-fearing man, and that he would love the Lord with all of his heart and seek to serve him with his whole life. And I prayed, you know, once again, that he, <laughs> he wouldn't be a douchebag. Right, and that he would be not a no Steelers fans, and yeah, you know, like just. And 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 as I prayed, I I just thought to myself, you know what? I bet my daughter doesn't know that I pray for her, that that Jody and I pray for her husband to be. And so I told her, I just said, "Hey, baby, I don't know if you know this, but mommy and daddy are already praying for the man you're going to marry someday." 
Well, her face got incredibly stoic, just absolutely stone-faced. And she looked at me over her little glasses, and she said, total deadpan, she said, well, who is it? So even in elementary school, arranged marriages are not a thing, right, that are received well. All I want to say on this is that there are some implications over this model. And and even though it's typically frowned on in our modern world, here are some positive implications of this concept of arrangement. First is the commitment that any union can survive and thrive if it has a humble commitment to making it. If there is a loving, God-centered commitment that God can make any marriage flourish. And that's a beautiful truth. The second thing that's really powerful about this idea of arrangement is that the, the people will be humble. The, the, you know, the, the two involved in the relationship will be humble enough to receive input from friends or family. That to actually take others' counsel into consideration. And that's a beautiful thing. The the downside of this idea of arrangement is that there are some who would just receive the input of mom or dad or friends, and they would go with the relationship even though it's not God's best for them. So again, all of these models are going to have positive and negative connotations. The third model is the God literally creating one soulmate for you model. And of course, we do have biblical precedent for this as well. The idea of one soulmate in all of the world God makes for you. Here it is, Genesis 2, verse 18 and following. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's ribs, one of the man's ribs, and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That literally means one flesh. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. There's a lot going on in that passage. We'll actually talk about that last line in a couple of weeks. But here's what I want you to see. Here's Adam. And, and Adam is, uh, he's with God in unbroken fellowship in Eden where all of his physical needs are being met. And even in that absolutely idyllic context, God recognizes it's not good for this guy to be alone. And, and so in Adam's world, right, it's not like there were a lot of other fish in the sea, unless you're actually counting the other fish in the sea, and Adam did and named them and decided there was no chemistry between them. And so this is an example of God literally creating for Adam a soulmate, Eve, right? This is the only match made in heaven that we're certain of, okay, that God creates Eve for Adam. And the implication, if this is where you are, is that in all the world, you know, it's coming up on 7 billion people on planet Earth, that God would have only created in all of the world only one person for you. And so your desire is that of a quest, that you're going out to discover who that soulmate is. And there's a lot of adventure associated with that. There's a lot of excitement associated with that discovery process. And that's how you would view relationships then, is this idea of uncovering. Is this God's soulmate created for me? That's the positive. The negative side of this model is that, uh, and I've seen this, I don't know how many times now, that it's the cultural lie that we believe which says that once you're into a marriage context, if you hit difficult patches, suddenly you start to entertain this idea, well, maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe this person isn't my soulmate. I thought I had discovered my soulmate, but I guess I was wrong. And so you would leave your spouse and go out to try to discover that person, some soulmate. And I would simply say that that's a lie. That's not God's best. That's not the way that this thing is supposed to work, 
Okay. Now, I feel like as I look at myself, there's a little bit of each one of these models kind of wrapped up in my heart. For example, I'll tell you, I could argue that there's a little bit of this God creating Jody for me reality, that he took pleasure in putting the two of us together. And I'll just give you one quick example. I saw this poster floating around on Facebook this week. It says, use the force, Harry, by Gandalf. And it has a picture of Patrick Stewart, who was one of the Star Trek captains at some point. Now, I looked at this, and I started to get angry. I'm a huge uh, Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. That's not Gandalf. That's not a quote that Gandalf would say. Harry doesn't use the force. Like, this is offensive on so many different levels to me. And I'm just starting to get angry. My blood's starting to boil. And then I see the subtitle underneath this poster, and it says, How to Infuriate All the Nerds in the World. Oh, that's me. I'm guilty. That was me. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> but that is a sort of the reality of who I am and how I'm wired. Now, check this out. Jody, when, when we got married, on our honeymoon, she brought all three volumes of The Lord of the Rings because she wanted to read them while we were on our honeymoon together. She's so sexy. God made her for me. Like, that's all I have to say. Only Jody, right? And, and only Mike together. And I, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your phone one last time this morning. Answer the question, which type of person best describes you? Are you the love at first sight person? Are you the organized marriage, the arranged marriage person? Or are you the one soulmate in the world person? Right? And just more than the others. It's just, uh, you know, if you, you know, just percentage it out. If you're 61%, you know, love at first sight, then that's what you text in, you know, because we're all going to be a mix of, of these th- three models. Again, there's biblical precedent for all of them. What I would love to have you recognize is no matter where you find yourself predominantly landing, there are lessons to be learned from the other models. Also understand, no matter which model is yours, there are shortfalls, there are pitfalls in all of them. So you simply must be discerning and you must go after it wisely. Let's take a look at our results. Okay, love at first sight, it's getting a lot of love. One person is getting the most. Oh, and it's going up even as we watch. Wow, okay. So one soulmate in the, per, uh, in the world, is, is, that's where most of us are. Okay, I get it. Now, guys, you can actually shut your phones off. That would be cool and uh, put those away. What we want to do is recognize just one thing on the front end. It said in Genesis chapter 2, God recognized it's not good for man to be alone. Okay? This is God saying, I know how I've wired humanity. And I know that they're wired for relationship. And it's not good for them to be in isolation or to be alone. It's so important for us to recognize that reality. Because I have been in ministry for two decades I used to do uh, high school ministry, college ministry, come up, through, you know, it, it, sort of all different contexts. I can't tell you how many times I have seen single people preach to, single people who desire relationship, who desire marriage, and they're, they're being preached to, and the message from the church is, you got to kiss dating goodbye, or, or that you got to make sure that, that you're content in your singleness before God will ever trust you with a, with a mate, with a spouse. And, and I think that does damage psychologically because God says it's not good for us to be alone. And some of us, if we're single, we desire a marriage, we desire a relationship. That's our heart. And, and, and what, you know, if, you, if you're getting preached to, hey, you've got to be content in your singleness. Well, then you, you go into this weird hypocritical m- mode or mindset where you're like, okay, I'm content. Lord, I'm content. I'm content. Now bring me my man, you know. And it's just not what God's best is. God desires us to be in relationship. He says it's not good to be alone. doesn't mean there's not a good thing in singleness, and that's a whole other thing we'll get to in a few weeks. It just means that if you desire relationship, understand God desires that for you as well, and, and he has what's best in mind. I want to just show you a a real quick thing. It's a video that we put together. Just a ministry that I really don't ever see promoted very often. And so I'd love to have you watch this and, and enjoy it, hopefully. Well, my name is Marty Flipman, and uh, this is my wife, Martina. And, uh, but when she's drinking, I like to call her Martini. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We, we don't drink. We met at church five years ago, and it was love at first sight. Or as I like to say, love at first service. (laughs) 
but it was actually it was the evening service, and uh, but it was the first service we had gone to that day, so it's technically true. We dated for two months, and we just knew, you know, or at least I knew, <laughs> and we got married pretty quickly after that. Ring by spring. <laughs> <laughs> or in our case, it was full. It was full. So, what do you guys like to do together? Well, we uh, we love food, walk or eat, or um, just go off and have quiet times alone. Separately. Separately, probably. Uh, we love coffee. <laughs> we might like coffee too much. <laughs> no, right? And I Don't touch me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we love not swearing. We love not swearing. We love not dancing. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I know. Check this out. That took us a while. That took us a while. <laughs> You know, after we got married, we felt a lot of pressure from the church um, to, to have relations with each other. And that is something that we really wanted to talk about today. Um, we've been married for four and a half years now, and uh, we're still waiting. You know, we grew up in the church, so we know that sex is a sin even after you get married. We wouldn't know how to consummate this thing if we tried. <laughs> <laughs> We've noticed that a lot of people at church fall into a life of uh, biblical relations uh, just because they're married. And, you know, we just want to be here to tell you there's another way, you know? Marriage is no excuse for becoming a dirty, dirty sinner. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. I just find my wife, Martina, is just, uh, she's worth waiting for. And uh, that's why we've started a new ministry here. That It's called Worth Waiting Forever. You know, at Worth Waiting Forever, we, uh, we just want... We just want to say that you can wake up in the morning, look your wife in the eye, and, and uh, say it all with a side hug, you know? I don't think that sex says anything that a great side hug can't. All right, in case there's confusion, that was sarcasm, okay? And uh, we want to unpack that a little bit. There are a lot of do's and don'ts for dating. And what I want to do is blaze through these really quickly and, you know, I'd love to have you write them down just so you could, uh, you know, think about them, track with them. I don't want confusion on the back end of this thing. Also recognize that there's a lot of good advice out there, but we want to make sure that there's not just good advice, that it's also the good news that comes with Jesus Christ. And so today we want to offer both of those things. At the very beginning, when it comes to the, the sort of foundational going after dating relationships, the most important thing is actually to, for you to know who you are, to know whose you are, to understand your identity in Jesus Christ, to understand what is God's best for your life and how do you envision that unfolding. I found a quote by Les Parrott. He says, to begin with, you'll want a personal statement of purpose and a small set of meaningful goals. Your purpose will set your course and your goals will serve as the roadmap to being the person you were meant to be. And what this is, is it's you taking an active role in defining your destiny. It's, it's you just humbly approaching God and saying, God, what are the good plans that you have for me? How do you want me to pursue your best in this life? And it is helpful for us to take some pause and to take some time to really understand who am I? What, what is my identity and how do I define myself and my goals? That will help clarify everything else that follows. If you're filling in the blanks, the first fill-in when it comes to our dating relationships is do have a blast. Do have a blast. It's, it's, it's a fallacy that it always has to be somber and solemn and stone-faced. God has incredible joy in mind for us in our relationships. Jesus himself says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The uh, New Living actually uh, translates this verse. I've come to bring a rich and satisfying life. And relationships, especially on the front end of a dating relationship, are supposed to be fun and enriching and exciting. And if it's all work at the very beginning of a dating relationship, then maybe that's God's way of telling you it's time to look somewhere else. Okay? So do have a blast. The next one, don't be afraid of group dating. 
Don't be afraid of group dating. And this is a, a huge in the first steps of a dating relationship. It simply means a group of friends hanging out together, talking and laughing together, maybe going after you know, different outings or different activities together. But it's a very low pressure way to get to know someone and to allow your friends or her friends to get to know you and, and for them to know her, etc. Okay, the scripture says in Proverbs 27, nine, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. And if you're in a group dating context, then you actually allow your friend to have good insight into the other person and there can be good heartfelt counsel that's offered there. The next feeling, do keep it noble. No matter what happens, whether you end up walking a relationship that ends and culminates in marriage or if the relationship does come to an end, act in such a way that no matter what happens, you can hold your head high. You can look yourself in the mirror. You can stand before your Lord and your God and know that you did it with nobility. You did it with honor. You did it with care and thoughtfulness, that you didn't turn negative or selfish or, or become rude in any way, okay? So uh, Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So again, all of this is what it looks like to keep it noble. The next fill-in, do establish guardrails, Pastor Jake talked about these last summer, the idea of us providing structure for ourselves and our lives, these guardrails that help us navigate and keep moving on the road that we know to be God's best for us. Specifically, when we establish guardrails, I'm talking about guardrails for the physical nature of relationships. Um, we've talked about this before, we'll talk about it again, that God has designed us as humans, he's designed our physicality to move in one direction when it comes to our sexuality. And it is so difficult if we don't walk that road slowly and carefully, if we don't uh, subject that to God's best for our lives, that we end up veering off course and we go too fast. And I just want to say that, that God did not uh, put a reverse gear into relationships in our physical nature. That, that it's designed to move from casualness to intimacy. And so it's very important for us to establish guardrails. Now that also means purity, accountability. And so I would encourage you, in fact, I would encourage everyone, no matter if you're in a dating relationship or not, that you would find another person in your world, somebody that you love, somebody who loves you and trusts you, you trust them to be your accountability partner for where you're going in your physical life, for where you're going in your thought life, and check in with that person weekly or more if needed. In fact, a young buddy of mine is in a dating relationship, he has an incredible accountability partner that he checks in with every single day because it is so important that he live his life according to the guardrails that he's established. Next fill-in, don't fall for the Hollywood fallacy. And the Hollywood fallacy is if you happen to have to be away from a person because you have to go to work or because you have to go to class or because that other person has to spend a couple of nights on a business trip away or something, that if your heart doesn't absolutely ache and drive you to the edge of misery, then you must not be you know, right for that person or they must not be right for you. And I just want to say that's not true. Right? It's, a, it's a fallacy. It's, it, just because you don't feel as intense every single moment as the movie The Notebook, it doesn't mean that that's not a reality for you, that there's not a good thing in it for you and that God might not be there. Right? It's that, that idea of a Hollywood fallacy, that's not the measure of a good dating relationship. Next fill-in. Do open up, but do it slowly. Do open up slowly. And we've talked about this before, that we're to be intentional in our conversations, but it helps so much to develop trust and to walk carefully that road. You don't need to divulge every struggle you've ever had right at the outset, okay? So walk a road of conversation with intentionality. Last week, we talked about the three elements that all relationships need. They need good listening, good question asking, and good self-disclosure, so I'm definitely arguing that you walk that road of good question asking, good listening, and good self-disclosure, but maybe not trying to get there all on the first date or two, right? Too much information right at the outset might freak the other person out, 
Okay, and the scripture actually talks like this. Uh, Proverbs 19.2 says, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. So do open up, but do it slowly. It goes hand in hand with the next fill-in, which is don't go public with the relationship right away. Okay? Now, this is just to respect privacy, yours and the other person's. It is not so that you can be secretive and play the field. Not at all. The idea is that you would go public with it when the time is right. But you want to avoid going public, public with it immediately and pigeonholing the relationship before you even know if it's a thing or not. Before if you, you even know if God's in it or not. And I say this because I know so many now that, that everything goes on Facebook. Everything is a tweet, you know. They're, every single element of their life is like live update all the time, you know. I'm picking her up now. You know, here's a picture of Sushi Land with me. And, you know, I'll live update our first kiss. You know what I mean? Like it's all, everything's going. And so I want to say to you what my dad said to me. Keep it in your pants. I'm talking about your smartphones. Keep them in your pants, okay. Don't live update, don't, no, no, no. Respect some privacy. Like have some, have some modesty for the relationship and, and give it some space. Now, when you finally do have that DTR conversation, you define the relationship, then friends, definitely go public with it and change your status update and, and you know, don't be ashamed of a relationship at all if God's in it, but please just don't do it so quickly. What I see happen time and again and I don't know if, if, if young guys or young gals are more culpable on this, but, but I see it often that immediately from first conversation, first date, the thing goes public. And then you've got all sorts of opinions being formed. And then if it never goes anywhere, if the relationship doesn't go beyond a date or two, then you've got to go back and you've got to undo all of these conversations that have, ha- that have happened. You've got to tell why that relationship didn't work. And, and that adds so much more burden and even stress on a relationship you're seeking to end or, or uh, the other person's seeking to end. So please, just be careful on this issue of going public. The next one, do be authentic online. Uh, and I'm talking about online dating services. You know, I don't know if you realize this. I just read a statistic last week that said 97 million Americans are utilizing online dating services. 97 million Americans. Do the math for a moment. There are only 300 million plus Americans in existence, right? And if 97 million of them are using online dating, well, you've got to take away the under 14 years old, Right? and maybe the over 80 years old. And so you, you look at the, the, the other swath of humanity. This means that a vast majority of single Americans are using online dating services and probably some small percentage of, of married people are using online dating services and being total jerks about it, okay? So it's a reality and I think we need to address it as such. So my challenge is that you would approach this online dating opportunity with great authenticity and care. And that you would choose an online dating service that is a Christian center or a Christian site. And that the, uh, all of the stuff, the profile tests that, that are happening and all that is really carefully done and thought through. And I would uh, just to the person themselves, I say, make sure that even as you're filling out the questions, right? As you're writing up your personality profile, as you're submitting your pictures, that you're doing it with authenticity. You don't want to sit down on your first date with someone and have them say, well, you know what? You look a lot less like Brad Pitt than your picture did online, you know? Oh, that was Brad Pitt, you know? Well, that's not going to help you, all right? So approach this online dating thing with authenticity. The next thing, don't look for things that are wrong with the person, don't look for things that are wrong with the person. We can become hyper-focused in this. We can become over-analytical. This can skew things from the very beginning. I'll just give you an example. My buddy Josh, he's on staff with us. I've been friends with Josh for over a decade. Josh, I call him the bearded wonder. Uh, you'll see him a little bit later today. He'll do the blessing. Josh was in college. And he was kind of interested in this girl that he was going to college with. Her name was Neely. And he really liked the car she was driving. She had a VW Bug at the time. And so I kid you not, this was his pickup line. Hey, do you mind if I drive your car? That was, his, that was him asking her out. And she's like, oh, is this a date? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's go out on a date. But I'd love to drive if you're all right with this. She said, okay. She says, hey, here are the keys. Let's go out on a date. So Josh takes her to the Taco Bell in Totem Lake. I, I would call that strike two. 
And then um, Josh also crashed her car on that date. So she still married him. And 13 years later, I would say she's mostly happy with her decision, okay? But I want you to understand that if you're talking about things that could go wrong, potential red flag, Josh had a few stacked against him right on the front end. And she didn't focus on the things that were wrong. Instead, she noticed that there were some other things that were incredibly right and God was in it and and blessed him with a beautiful marriage and family. So that's the point. Don't just look for things that are wrong. Look at the next point. But do look for things that are wrong with the person, okay? A little bit schizophrenic here. They, you don't hyper-focus on compiling lists of everything that is wrong with the person. But on the other hand, don't be in denial about those things either. Don't put your head in the sand, especially if they're character issues or things about how they treat other people, uh, issues of faith, things that are foundational. Make sure that you're not just glossing over the red flags that do exist that you would be intentional about asking all the right questions, that you would make sure that you are being very, very proactive in discerning, right? not, just, not just being caught up in the moment, but in discerning, is God in this? And is uh, this something that has legs to it? In other words, uh, we've said this before, date with your eyes wide open. And that's, that's good advice. The next feeling is do pay attention to your feelings. Uh, all of us are emotional. We find that emotions do shift significantly, but we are, uh, I think the challenge is to actually pay attention to the movement of your heart because your heart is given to you by God and your heart's what's redeemed and ransomed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so there is something valuable in listening to your heart. In fact, the scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all uh, vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And so in the scripture, we're encouraged to guard our heart, to value our heart, to keep our heart. The wellspring of life flows from it. Our hearts determine the very course of our life. And God has given you your heart for a reason. If you're a believer, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God comes, resides inside of your heart, that you are now a temple of God Almighty. So there's a lot to value in your heart. And so listen, and if your heart is... Uh, continuing to bring up red flags or areas of concern. Listen to your heart. And if your heart is speaking deep peace to you, deep peace and joy and and speaking a confirmation that God's in this, then listen, okay? It's not accidental. Uh, The next fill-in is don't get mired in the cohabitation conundrum. The cohabitation conundrum. And, and basically what this is, is we've already talked about how physicality is designed by God to move in one direction. No reverse. So I, I would point you to an online resource, and I believe we have some maybe still available if they've not all gone already. A message I gave a few years ago called Cohabitation in Jesus. And I would point you there if you'd like a, just a more full explanation of what is God's best regarding, you know, um, sexuality, living together, being married, all that stuff. The bottom line is the culture feeds us a lie. It's not found in scripture. It's not God's heart for us. The culture feeds us a lie that says that cohabitation is the next natural step toward being married. And so you think, oh, that makes sense. We've been dating for a while. I guess the next step is cohabitating, and then eventually we'll get married. Here's the problem. The problem is no matter what study you take a look at, whether it's a Christian-based study or a secular study, you will find that the statistics are overwhelming. That cohabitation is not a next step toward marriage. It's a next step toward breakup toward breakup immediately after the cohabitation or towards breakup after marriage does occur and then divorce follows. There are all sorts of reasons why, but I want to tell you in this brief time that I have with you on this point, the reason is because it's not God's best for you. God's best is that sexuality happens in the context and covenant of safety of marriage. And so that's why cohabitation doesn't work. Ultimately, it fails you and the purposes that you think that it will happen. Now, I want to say, don't get caught up in that. If you're already there, if you're already in that cohabitation realm right now, then I would say, listen, God loves you. 
And there is a plan forward, and it's not like you can't hit the reset button, and, and Overlake would love to talk with you and walk a road with you to help you negotiate your way forward from here, okay? But this is just, in general, this is a good uh, thing to keep in mind. Don't get caught up in the cohabitation conundrum. Next, do date for a lifetime, do date for a lifetime, and specifically, I'm talking about dating your spouse for a lifetime, not playing the field for a lifetime, okay? The idea is that, you know, so often, so there's so much pressure, there's so much creativity, there's so much emphasis on wooing another person, all at the front end, and then sort of like married, pfft, done. And I would say, no, no, understand that you've got a lifetime together. A lifetime to explore creativity and fun and romance and adventure. And so make sure that you have the long view in mind. Uh, I've been married. Jody and I have been together 17 years. We've been married for 15 years. This last summer, I just splurged. And I, I said, babe, let's, let's do this thing big. And so for Mother's Day, for her birthday, for our anniversary, I bought her one gift. It was a, a night at the Herb Farm restaurant in Woodenville, Washington. Now, if you don't know what the herb farm is, it is a, it's an extravagant night. It's a, it's a dining culinary experience that is second to none. We had to take a second out on our house to pay for it. And, and it's a five-hour extravaganza, and the chef comes out and describes all the things. And, and I mean, it's just phenomenal. It, it, nine courses, and each course was so delicious and unimaginably tiny. And, you know, just this exquisite night with my wife. We had great conversation, just so much fun. And we noticed that at the table right next to us was a young couple who appeared to be on a first date together. And I'm like, dude, you're on your first date at the herb farm? Where are you going to go in 15 years? The moon? Pace yourself, fella. Have a plan, you know? All right. This is what the scripture says. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Okay, so due date for a lifetime. And uh, last couple here. uh, Next feeling. Don't keep dating the church. Don't keep dating the church. You've been coming for a while, okay. You've been flirting with Overlay Christian Church, okay. It's time to commit. Let's have that define the relationship conversation, okay. Either hold hands with us in public or find another church to date, right? One with a smaller parking lot and slimmer hips. Uh, you know what? We're, we're 42 years old and we're proud of it. Maybe you need a younger church to date. I get it, okay. We give you permission to leave. I, I don't want you to leave. Don't get me wrong, friends. I, I, who you are, where you, I, I want you to stay. I, I, I want you to French kiss your church in the middle of a crowded street. That's right. I just took this analogy to second base. We're that edgy, okay? But I really want you to understand, friends, that Overlay Christian Church is a, a we're a family. And we've got a lot of stuff to do. And we serve together and we give together and we grow together and we share together. And if you're just here as a consumer, then I want to tell you, stop dating us. Stop dating us and be the church that God is calling us to be. Okay? we got a membership class coming up in just a few days. I'll mention that at the next steps. But if, you, if you're just thinking, you know what, I'm just checking this whole thing out. We love it. We love that you're just checking this whole thing out. But that's not a place to live forever. All right? And we would ask you to stop dating us. All right, let's commit together to be the church. And the last fill-in is do bring Jesus into the very center of your relationships. Bring him in. You know, only Jesus can meet your deepest needs for love. Only God's spirit can meet your deepest desire for intimacy. There, there is a, a compassion in every human heart for sincere and radical companionship. And only God the Father can meet that need. 
And so whether you are a single person, whether you are engaged right now, whether you are married, wherever you are in the spectrum, the invitation is that you would invite Jesus into that foundational place. That you would let the love of God fill you. Fill your drive and your needs and fill your desires. And let his love define you. The scripture says that God is love. In Psalm 73, 26, we read, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Look what 1 John 4, 12 says. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I would argue, and you are made complete in his love. And so invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus into the brokenness. Invite Jesus into the need. Invite Jesus into the joy. I'm sure there's a lot of great stuff that's happening in relationships in your life. And so invite him there as well. Why don't we do that right now? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And Jesus, we do want to take a moment and invite you in. I want to start with my married friends that are in the room, that we would invite you in to be the center of our our, our marriage. And that even as we recall, perhaps, when we were in that front end of the dating experience, there was a lot of creativity. There was a lot of passion and a lot of joy. And maybe we've seen some of that kind of go away. Well, Jesus, we need you to come. We need you to be the foundation that we need you to provide the love, that, that you would bring the fresh wind and fresh fire that we need to make sure that we do date our spouse continuously, that, that we have great joy in our relationship, our marriage that you have provided for us. For my single friends, my friends that are in the dating world engaged, Jesus, we invite you in to these areas. We invite you into the uncertainty. We invite you into the discernment questions, into the questions of, is this the right way? How come we have to submit to you in this area? How do we walk a road of both passion and purity in a fallen world? Jesus, we ask that you'd be the foundation and our guide through these treacherous waters. We pray all this in your name. Amen.